You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. So five weeks into this new chapter, we haven't stopped talking about the kingdom. Guess what? That's what Jesus did. When he started his ministry, he couldn't stop talking about the kingdom. Um, I am the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is now. And in fact, when he's teaching us to pray, to talk to God, to connect with God, early on in that prayer, he gives us this phrase, pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the way he even puts this, the, 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 words, the, the, the words that are used is he prays or he asks us to pray, let it come, let it come now, let it come suddenly, let it come completely. The call of Jesus has always been, and as we're following him and he's absolutely changing our lives, rescuing us, saving us, doing the I wills that we talked about, that then his purpose for our life is to join his kingdom, become his people, and join him on mission in this world. Ascending God is wanting to send his people out because he's not done. He's never done trying to reach and save lost people. That's the kingdom. And we've talked about that for five weeks now. We've tried to kind of grab a hold of, well, what does it look like? You say he's he's calling us to this kingdom. What does the kingdom look like? And we've talked about the fact that the kingdom's realized in unity, that this kingdom is... It's, it's a people that are brought together by Jesus and my goodness, we become this, this phenomenon of one, one heartbeat, one passion, one purpose. Uh, there's not little kingdoms going on. It's all coming together and that it really works. It exists. It's, it's living out the words Jesus prayed. I pray that they might be father, one father as you and I are one and me and them and you and me and oneness existing so that the world might believe, so that the world might know. It comes through a kingdom that's built on unity. We talked about the fact that it's built on the love of the Father. Uh, the, The big idea with the kingdom, if kingdoms are represented by themes and words and throughout history, this kingdom is represented in one word, love. For God so loved that he gave. God is love. And so obviously his kingdom is a kingdom of love. And the kingdom is built on the the reality of a God who loves and gave himself for us. Remember the story Jesus told explaining who God is and who we are in that story of a man with two sons. And the love of the Father is the thing that was the, the, main, uh, the main reality of that story as we understand what is God about? What does God want to do? How does God act? As we have all been represented in those two sons, the Father runs, he loves, he moves. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. He doesn't cause us to live in shame for our life. He forgives, he restores, he renews. It's built on this premise, the love of 
the Father. Talked about, Jonathan talked in the third week that this kingdom has a word. It's a life-giving word. In fact, the scriptures say that the word became flesh, Jesus, but he's representing this idea that God is speaking truth and life into our lives. And he's given us this word that gives us a framework for how does the, how does the kingdom live out? What's its lifestyle? What's its culture? What does it do? How does it act? How does it function? And in his word, he gives us life and a picture of how this works. Last week, we talked about the fact that it thrives in community, that the idea of this kingdom is bringing people from uh, individuals into this oneness, this kononia fellowship, where we truly become brothers and sisters together. And the kingdom thrives as we're connected, as we one another, one another, and live out the faith. And in doing so, we, we live out a love that Jesus said, by this love, all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Are we with me today? Yeah. We alive? Yeah. All right. Sometimes I get caught up in my own little world here, and I, well, you it would be weird if you weren't here and I was up here by myself, but I almost feel like I'm just in my thing. Like, I love to talk about this. You just tell me if, like, um, hey, Jep, come back to earth. I want to start this morning by quoting one of, uh, one of the most famous columnists of our day as we talk about this fifth idea that the kingdom acts out the mission of its king that this kingdom has purpose. This kingdom has a mission. Ascending God is sending us. And I, I wanna quote David Brooks. He's a columnist for the New York Times. And I've always been, I saw this quote about 10 years ago. I've never forgot it. I've read it often. I've thought about this. So this is David Brooks, not a believer, but an observer of humanity as a columnist for the New York Times. He says this, commencement speakers are always telling young people to follow their passions, to be true to yourself. Brooks writes, this is a version of life that begins with self and ends with self. Brooks said, what I've observed is that people on the road to character, the real difference makers in the world, the people that change the world, that leave it better than when they came, those kind of people do not find their vocations by asking, what do I want from life? They ask, what is life asking of me? How can I match my intrinsic talent with one of the world's deep needs? And David Brooks, unbeliever, but an observer of humanity, uh, probably unknowingly stumbles into a perfect segue into what Jesus himself was calling us to, to a reality that, that looks at life saying, why am I here? What purpose can I fulfill? Not what can I get? And in the reality of living out purpose, we find that life is then truly fulfilled and lived. And Jesus in this story I wanna invite you to think about today helps us to see this so vividly. This story, as soon as I start telling it to you, you're gonna recognize it. It's a slogan in our culture. People who don't know Jesus use this story. 
Uh, insurance companies name their company after this story. Uh, it, it's so popular. When I say, hey, be a good Samaritan, you, you, you know exactly what I mean, don't you? It's become cliche to our culture. And, and it's almost like, hey, he was a good, you, look, you, you listen to the news and they'll throw in this phrase like, a good Samaritan story today, somebody helped somebody fix a flat tire. It was a good Samaritan, you know, feel good. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? We use this. And unfortunately, what's happened is we've, because we've used it so much for random acts of kindness, we've lost the depth of what this story means to the people of God and the kingdom of God. It's far more than just a pithy slogan or Good Samaritan Insurance Company. It is at the heart of Jesus explaining to us what our mission on earth looks like. So let's jump in, Luke chapter 10. You can find it on the screen if you wanna get in your scriptures. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 25. There's actually the app now that you can click on. And you know what? If You, know, you can text your friends and I'd never know. <laughs> your mom will know sitting next to you, but, but it's try to, to make it easy for you to find it if you just carry a phone. But Luke chapter 10, verse 25 on one occasion, a lawyer, an expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus. The context of this is Jesus is moving into the last year of his ministry. He's already spent considerable time in Galilee in the north side. Now he's in the south end, Judea, and he's doing ministry. He's teaching. He's proclaiming the kingdom, and he's just about ready to start his last year of ministry. And You know, obviously, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ always rubbed religious people the wrong way. It just did. They hated him. And they were always trying to figure out how to trip him up, discredit him in front of his followers and everybody else, right? You read the gospels and you see religious people all the time are trying to make Jesus look like a fool, a fake, a phony. And that's what's happening in this time. And a lawyer, an expert in the law, uh, uh, Puts him, tries to put him to a test. Um, lawyer in that day, I mean, today we have civil and, and, and um, uh, criminal court, and criminal lawyer, civil lawyer. Back then, everything was established on the word of God. And so there were actually lawyers, religious lawyers. Like, that's what you got a degree in. And hang your shingle out, do a little criminal, do a little civil, and do a little religious law. Help interpret the law of God. It all ran together. And this is a lawyer, uh, someone who's very learned and educated, and he's trying to test Jesus, and he says, teacher, what must I do yeah. to inherit, look at those two words, eternal life. So see why this story is way bigger than just reminding us to do some nice things for people, little random acts of kindness. The context of this story is how do I live and experience and grab a hold of? How do I have eternal life? That's a big deal. Again, Jesus is using the word zoe life, not bios. I mean, we've talked about this already, but bios is that word for life that means the stuff, the food, the flesh, the, the plants, the animals, biology. We study that in school. That's the life that's used when we're talking about 
earth and things and physical. But Jesus often reminds us that our lives are way bigger than that. In fact, the basis of our lives are built on this reality that you and I are spiritual beings. We have souls that have an an everlasting, eternal nature. And that actually what Jesus has come to do is first of all, come in and save our soul and then everything else follows out of that. What must I do to inherit eternal Zoe? What must I do to connect to the life of God who is eternal and has this life, this spiritual life? What must I do to connect with God is his question. Jesus responds, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? To which this law, your response, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the, this is the slogan of the kingdom, is it not? This is the mission statement of the kingdom. This is what God has always desired to do for us, to get us to a place where we love him or in a love relationship with him. And out of that, we are able to then, as he is love, love our neighbor as ourself. This is what Jesus modeled. This is who he calls us to be. And this lawyer knew the answer. He was right. He knew that this is the heart of a loving God. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Wow, that's a nice little exchange. Makes sense. Jesus affirmed what was important. Uh, The story should end. They should move on. Hopefully the lawyer uh, heard what Jesus said and had his question answered and that that should be the end of the story, right? But just like we always do (laughs) as humans, this lawyer wanting to justify himself or try to figure out uh, or proclaim himself righteous, he can't stop, he can't help himself. Because there's something unsettling about these words, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, like that, that, that makes me pause. Those are weighty words. Love your neighbor as yourself. I get fixated on loving God with all my mind, soul, and strength, right? I spend considerable time trying to figure out how that works, as we all do. But love your neighbor as yourself, it's almost like, what does that mean? I mean, loving God makes sense. He's perfect, he's holy, he's just, he's good. I find that easier to do than, have you ever met my neighbor? Not easy to love that mess. Right? Yeah. So when I hear the words, love your neighbor as yourself, I'm like, Ooh. oh, that, that sounds a little more difficult. What does that look like? Not unlike the lawyer. Those words bother him. And so he asks, well, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus gives us this story that helps us not only understand who our neighbor is, but how 
we love our neighbor. Now, before I jump into this, I'm gonna say something to you straight up. I've preached on this story before. Every time I preach on this story, that whole week, and while I'm preaching, it absolutely wrecks me. I stand up here today, and you're listening to me, and, and it might be misconceived that, well, he's telling us what we're supposed to do. He must have it all together. I don't. This is so convicting. In fact, it's so convicting that as I interact with this story time and time again, my prayer is, Lord, have mercy on me and teach me how to grow in this. And I guarantee you, if you're sensitive to the Lord as we talk through this story, you're gonna feel bad about yourself a little bit. You are. And I want you to know that there's not a guy standing up here today saying, hey, get your act together. I'm saying, Lord, help us to live into this. Me, help me to grab a hold of this. So I've already preached this once today. I'm already wrecked. So I'm just gonna be wrecked again. I'm gonna check myself into a mental home tonight or something. Here we go. Here's the story. How do you inherit eternal life? What does God want us to do? Love others as ourselves. What does that look like? Here we go. Jesus says this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. As soon as he says that, man, they knew exactly where he was talking about. It's like saying, hey, you're traveling down I-75 from here to Dayton. We all have been on it. We know what it is, right? We know the exits, Piqua, Sydney, uh, Wapakoneta, we know that this was a familiar road, this path that dropped 3,000 feet from Jerusalem to Jericho. I've been on this road. The thing is, I was on this road in a tour bus going 70 miles an hour. <laughs> and I literally thought I was going to meet Jesus going from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho. I am not kidding. It's insane over there the drivers, the tour, and they're this far from each other, and they're doing 65 and smiling, and you're just in the back, like, gripping. And I remember going around one of these turns because you're going down a mountain and, like, looking over and, like, that's it, man. I'm done. Can't fly. I'm going to die. But they knew this road. They traveled it. It was the way to go. They knew this road, this mountainous road, that as it was alongside a mountain, if you've hiked, you know what this is like. Like, uh, oftentimes on those mountainous roads, there's caves, there's enclaves, there's places to sit, and, and you know what I mean? Like, and this road, this popular road, was a place that became high in crime, became convenient for criminals to lay in wait and ambush somebody. There were boulders to hide behind. There were little uh, out-of-the-way things. You could wait. And they knew this road. Jesus is giving them a story from a road that they knew about. But as I go through this story, I'm asking you to, to do what Jesus calls us to do so often. To, as he's teaching us a truth, to apply it to our lives. 
to see the spiritual realities that exist. That he told this story for a reason, to make spiritual points to us. And in this story, we can, there's some contemporary significance. This road to me just seems to represent life. We all go down it. We all travel it. And life is fraught with twists and turns and dangers and, and unexpected and uncertainties, right? So allow your heart and mind to go there as we walk through this story. And he says, there's a man who's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And sure enough, he's attacked by robbers. Attacked is this word of, they put a hurting on him. It wasn't just they stole from him and then pushed him down. I mean, they beat him. In fact, they beat him to a point where he was half dead, critical condition, cuts and wounds, bleeding out, bruises. You get the idea. He pummeled him. He was pummeled by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. <laughs> Such a picture of what our world will do to all of us, will it not? The world is a fallen place that beats, bruises, and robs us of the image that God has given us. That's what it does. As Jesus continues to tell this story, he, he seems to bring it to a close very quickly. A man goes down, gets robbed, a priest shows up, and everything's great. Because as soon as he said a, a priest happened to be going down the same road, ah, good news. This is good. That's a short story. That must be what it means to love God. No big deal. Yeah, because the priest would know. The priest would know, like, you know, uh, the Old Testament scriptures. He would know. He would live. He would teach. If you see an ex a Leviticus, if you see a stranger in need, you do whatever it takes to meet his need. He would know Exodus 23 that says if even you find your enemy's donkey in a ditch, you make sure to rescue the man's donkey, let alone the man himself. Priest would know that if you see somebody in this condition, that God is wanting you to help him. This is a quick story. Thanks, Jesus. And yet Jesus says, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. The words here, and again, you might get tired of me saying the word this and that. The words are like, it's like black and white TV and then color. The words bring such vivid meaning when you get inside the descriptive nature of these words. And Jesus is a perfect storyteller. And he's telling and they're seeing this in living color. He says that this man, as he's coming up on this scene, he intentionally moves as far away from he can, away from it as he can. A priest, the person who knew intentionally gets out of the way. I'm sure I've tried to think about the priest and, and then the story goes on that a Levite, and again, they're disappointed the priest doesn't help. The Levite shows up, well, he's like staff, temple staff, that's what a Levite was. Uh, he, knows, he knows what to do too, he'll do it, same thing. And I've thought about these guys, and I'm sure maybe that they had reasons for why they didn't do it. 
you know, maybe they had the reason of, I'm on my way to do the Lord's work in Jerusalem. I've got other things to do. I'm busy. I just, I can't stop. I need to keep going. I'm doing, right? Is that not a valid excuse, maybe? I think they probably. Uh, maybe they thought, I can't touch, I can't touch it, it's, he's dead. My, my, my faith teaches me as a priest, I can't touch an unclean thing. It, it's over, there's no hope. I'm not even gonna stop, it's done. He's dead. And I can't defile myself with that. There's, there's no reason for me to even stop. Maybe, maybe that's what went through his mind. Maybe, uh, you know, he's thinking, well, they, the thieves could still be around. And if I stop, I might get hurt. I might get hurt. I might get entangled in something, put myself in a little bit of risk if they're still around. Maybe, maybe he just thought, you know what? I, I gotta keep moving. Somebody behind me will take care of him. Are you tracking with me today? Yeah. Are you thinking spiritually today? Yeah. yeah, I hope you are. I do. Because uh, sometimes, sometimes I'm to be quite honest. I went on the side. And we know the excuses so often, don't we? And it's disappointing, this story is going down. But Jesus throws a curveball, right? He always throws a curveball. But this curveball, I mean, it is a 12 to 6, buckle your knees, swing and miss. Because Jesus says this, but a Samaritan. And like in the crowd, they went, <gasps> you have to understand that he could not have picked a worse person to introduce into this story. Samaritans, those were the people that in captivity, they gave in, they compromised, they intermarried, they did not believe in the pure Jewish race thing and they just compromised and, and mixed races and we're the children of God, we're not supposed to do that and they did, they're terrible people. That's Samaritans. Jews hated them. I mean, this makes, this makes Michigan, Ohio State look soft, man. I mean, this is deep hatred. And Jesus in his way says, that person that you hate the most, I want to tell you, is what he's saying is, who should be involved in loving others? Everyone. No class, no race, no ethnicity, right? That's what he's doing here. He's knocking down the barriers. The kingdom of God loves, yeah. loves, because all of a sudden we got Jew Samaritan helping a Jewish man. And here's what he does. He came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Those, that word took pity is the same exact word I used a few weeks ago. It's the same word in scripture Jesus used when he, when he talks about the father seeing his lost son and having compassion on him and running to him. The heart of God is represented in the heart of this Samaritan man. 
He sees this and his heart is just compelled because his heart is right. It's the heart of God. And he's, he's compelled, I have to do something about this. And what does he do? He took him and he bandaged his wounds. He pours oil and wine on him. He puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn and took care of him. I've read those things so many times without thinking through that. No big deal. This man was traveling. He's in, he's in Judea, so he's not from Judea. He's a Samaritan. He's traveling probably on business. He's probably, he does probably have an appointment to get to, right? And he allows his whole life to be interrupted. <laughs> he allows his life to be interrupted. And then, look, the man's stripped of his clothes, so the bandages that are being used aren't from the medicine cabinet somewhere. They're his own clothes. Like, he might have had an extra set of clothes, maybe, but in that day, it was not very hygienic. You wore the same thing over and over every day, amen? Not changing clothes every other day, or every, every other day. See, we laugh about this now. Like, some of you change clothes three times a day, right? Like, we don't even get this. But this man didn't carry around a suitcase. He had his clothes on and maybe, whatever, if it was his change or if it was even his own cloak, he's ripping it up. He's tearing it up, making bandages. He's reaching into his bag and he's pour, pulling out wine and oil. Wine, he, he drank that wine because it, it, water was terrible back then, right? I mean, it was, it was unhealthy wine. The alcohol would, would, uh, would cleanse. It, it was an antiseptic. And, and so it was, his, it was what he drank, but also it was what he poured to kill germs as he was eating or if he had a, his own wound. And he starts just taking his own wine and pouring it. And the, the word Jesus uses here is he didn't like go. I, I got to make sure I keep some for myself because no, it's like he is so moved by need, he loses sight of his own wine and his own oil that he would have cooked with. See, the heart of this man is moved by need. And he is allowing his own life to be interrupted and he's allowing his own resources to be used. Puts him on his donkey. He's walking, the guy's riding now. Takes him to an inn. The word end here is that it's, <laughs> it's the common place. Uh, right now, think of the worst hotel in Lima. Don't say it. Probably most of you went there, though, in your mind. Like, that was kind of this inn. It was a shady place, but it was the only place on this road. It was so shady that the man decided, I'm going to stay overnight with this guy because I'm not sure that the people here will treat him well. He just wanted to make sure. He stays overnight because we read, Jesus says the next day. I mean, this guy is putting himself out. And he actually says, hey, can you put him up? Here's two denarii, basically a month's rent. This guy was in bad shape, right? Really beat up. He said, here's a month's rent. 
said, look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. When Jesus teaches us what it means to love, this is the story he uses. This is not some pithy cultural slogan. The story of the Good Samaritan is the most vivid. It's exhibit A in Jesus' heart and mind in teaching us what it means for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so Jesus turns to the lawyer and says, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, obviously, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. It's why first John would say this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, in that context, John is writing to people who are impoverished and poor who were persecuted. Not us today, but them. And he said, for your context, you know how you show love? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need and doesn't have pity on them, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words of speech, but with actions and in truth. It's why Jesus himself shared about in the judgment of nations, the righteous will come to him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger, invite you in or needy or in need of clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king, Jesus will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. You see, This is what it means to love. This is the mission of the kingdom. And I know I'm talking to us today, 21st century, Northwest Ohio, abundantly blessed in so many ways. Poverty is, it exists, but it's, it's sometimes hard to find. Um, uh, we, we have so many resources. And so often we can read this story and say, well, I'm not gonna run into nobody beaten on the side of the road. I guess this story doesn't apply to me. Oh, yes, it does. Because I wanna tell you that what Jesus was using as a template for all of us to see our world through. And today, maybe it's not beaten and broken physically, hungry and impoverished but our culture has a ton, a ton of need, relational needs, broken homes, broken marriages. Talk to a school teacher if you don't believe that. Emotional needs. You realize we, we pop more nerve medications today than ever has existed in the world. We have more than we've ever had, and yet we are more stressed out than we've ever been. Emotionally, we're drowning in our culture. People are overwhelmed, depressed, desperate. There is so much, there's injustice, inequities, 
There is need everywhere. And we're called to love people who have those needs. And I would say this to you, just two simple statements. Loving your neighbor will interrupt your life. Jesus tells us if you're gonna love your neighbor, it's gonna interrupt your schedule. This guy was going down and he had a pit stop. He didn't get to his destination in time. And loving your neighbor will cost you the time, energy, and resources. Are we willing to truly be the kingdom and to allow our hearts and lives to be oriented around something bigger than our own little kingdom? And as we see need, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm willing. It might interrupt my schedule. It's gonna cost me some time and some energy, maybe some resources. (laughs) But I wanna be a kingdom citizen. I wanna continue to pass on the love that you've passed to me. You know, in Minnesota, Moorhead, Minnesota, there's Concordia College. It's known for its music program. It's known specifically for its uh, Christmas concert. Moorhead's right across from uh, Fargo, North Dakota. Let me tell you, not a lot going on in Fargo. It's not a destination place. It's cold, long winters, it's desolate. Because of that, the concert they put on every year, it's a big attraction. They don't get that every day. They, they look forward to this concert. It's done so well by the college. It's, it brings people from everywhere. This concert's in December, but how they begin to plan for it is in the summer. They begin to invite the people in that town from junior hires to senior citizens to come down and to take a tile. And there's a number system and they paint by number their tile. They do it in July, turn it in. Day after day, month after month, people paint a tile until they have created this huge mosaic that becomes the backdrop for the concert. I actually pulled up a couple years worth of pictures here. Isn't that amazing? Those are little tiles painted by citizens. They have an artist that once they're all compiled, kind of goes over it and kind of finishes it up. If you're tracking with me spiritually, you know what I'm doing. The Lord himself. And this is what happens. I've thought about that. If you and you and me, if we'll paint our tile, if we'll love our neighbor, if we'll respond how we can in what ways we can, as you do it and I do it, 
God's mosaic is created in this community. The more of us that do it, the bigger it is, the, the greater it is. And it just proclaims to the world, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a God who loves you, who cares. And the world can't help but see something like that. One of my favorite songs the last 10 years is, with every act of love, we see the kingdom come. This is the mission of the king, to declare the glory of God's glorious gospel in Jesus Christ. And we accomplish that by you and I being willing to love not only God with all our heart, but our neighbor as ourselves. Would you paint your tile? Would you show the world? And then together, <laughs> let's see what God can do. Let's see his kingdom come. Lord, again, I, I share this truth with fear and trembling, to be honest, because I do not ever want to be um, characterized as someone who stands up here and teaches on this, this weighty truth and, and acts like I have it all together. I don't, Father. I need your help. Grow me in this willingness to have my life interrupted and my time and my resources and my energy all for the sake of sharing the love of Jesus to people who are broken and needy. Teach me, Lord. Teach us together how to be this person that you shared about in scripture. Make it so, I pray, and through us together, we change this community. Broken families, broken lives, addictions, dysfunctions, injustices, inequities, they're all shattered by the love of Jesus as we're willing, as we're willing for it to interrupt and cost us. Make it so, I pray. I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.